So I have a funny anecdote. Hey, Reginald, what could that be? So I was driving the BMW the other day. Oh, well, which one? The maroon one. I don't drive the burgundy one, except for on weekends. Oh, <laughs> yes. So I'm driving the BMW, and I run over the maid. Oh, heavens no! And the wife tells me, are you going to get a new one? And I says, a new maid or a new car? <laughs> oh, Reginald, I haven't been dittied in such a manner since the last time I listened to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to have Lizzie Hutton here in the studio with Hi. me. Hi. Welcome, Lizzie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and um, and it's exciting. This is um, we've got your first book of poems, yes. your, your debut collection. She'd waited millennia. Mm-hmm. Um, out with new issues mm-hmm. press, mm-hmm. and this and it was it was out October. Yep. Um, and. The occasion is that we're we're talking now yeah. of all times is because we wanted it to connect with your upcoming Nicholas reading, right? Exactly, um, which will be this coming Monday, yep. March nineteenth at seven. Yep, at seven o'clock. At Nicholas, so that's something. Put that on your calendar, definitely. Folks. <laughs> <laughs> and before we go any further, I'm going to read the short bio in the back of the book, and then we'll go from there. Raised in Brooklyn, Lizzie Hutton received her A.B. from Princeton and her M.F.A. from the University of Michigan, where she now teaches. Her poetry has appeared in the Yale Review, Harvard Review, Antioch Review, and Interim. She is the recipient of the Sycamore Review's Wabash Prize, a Hopwood Award, and Meter Family Award. This is her first book. And what a book it is. She'd waited millennia. Um, again, out with new issues. Um, this is wonderful. And we'll be hearing poems from the book yeah. in just a bit. Um, and let's see. I wanted to also, if you don't mind, Lizzie, thank no. the fund. We just had our fundraiser right. recently, um, the 2012 WCBN <laughs> FM fundraiser. And some of the, the fantastic people who donated, our donors, um, to this show and to, to keep the station going George and Joanne Cooper, uh, Nan and Kip. Godwin, Nan, a former uh, host for Living Writers, mm-hmm. so uh, keeping the faith there. Thanks, Nan. Mark Tucker mm-hmm. um, from the Lloyd Hall Scholars Program and Festifools yeah. fame or in infamy. <laughs> <laughs> the Liz Wasson, um, Sally Hetzel. Thanks, Mom. Uh, Louis Ciccarelli. Um, and I wanted to also give a quick shout out again to Amanda at 826 uh, for lending us uh, the, the book, I Live Real Close to Where You Used to Live, Kids' Letters to Michelle Obama, um, just out with McSweeney's and uh, 826 National. Um, and just a quick one, because we've got a local girl here in the book, um, Grace Vowles, age eight, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And this is her letter. Dear Mrs. Obama, my name is Grace. I'm in fourth grade and I'm nine years old. I do girls on the run. 
I also do soccer. I think it's cool that you're doing the Let's Move campaign. In April, I broke my arm. I had surgery and they put pins in, but they didn't hurt at all when they came out. One time when I was going to the bathroom, I didn't know the toilet seat was up. I fell in a little. It was gross. Oh, what are you doing on Halloween? Love, Grace <laughs> Bowles, age eight. Um, and that was from the McSweeney's and 826 National book. I live real close to where you used to live. Kids' letters to Michelle Obama. So y'all check that out. Um, so Lizzie. Yes, T. <laughs> Lizzie, back to you. Yeah. So let's fill in a little bit about your 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 background, your okay. biography. Yeah. Um you've got a, a great a great website up. I do have a website up, yes. And that's what's it, do you the is it Lizzie Hutton dot Lizzie Hutton it's at wordpress.com. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so dot .wordpress. Yeah, I'm not paying the extra money to make it my own. So it's still part of WordPress. Hello. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I'm still a poor student. <laughs> and that's something. So you're you're teach you're teaching here at the university and you have been mm-hmm. through S- Sweetland Center for Writing, yep. the English Department, yep. Lloyd Hall, yeah. and the um the arts Living Arts. Living, Living Arts up on North Campus, which is a residential college, yeah. And then you decided, you know, you're gonna go back mm-hmm. and, and get the PhD. Yes. So I was so I've been teaching here for twelve years, maybe twelve, maybe or maybe I've been here. I can't remember, but I I did my MFA here back in the late nineties. So I got my MFA in ninety nine, and then I started teaching as a lecturer, and I did that for yeah up until last year, so eleven, twelve years, Um, and I was at Sweetland for many years, and it was wonderful. Um, And it's a it's it's a great community, and I was able to get writing done and be surrounded by writers and teach, and but I just decided it was time to. I'd been flirting for a long time with the idea of going back to school and getting a PhD, and and I the time had come, and it sort of coincided with my book getting accepted for publication. I think once that happened, and once I sort of felt like I'd crossed that um, that that sort of line in my life that I'd said, okay, I, I can, I am actually a poet now. I can, I can, I've done that. Did it feel differently then to you, Lizzie? What at that moment when? When new issues called yeah. you, or what? Because yeah. you'd you'd place poems before, yeah, in journals yeah, 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 and and essays. Yes, have been published yeah, yeah. And... So I've been publishing in journals, but getting the book out was a long, arduous process of of sending it out to contests, and that took a few years. So when um, did the book transform as those? Oh yeah, those no, it was actually oh. great. I mean, when I think back to the drafts of the book that I was sending out years ago. Um, some of the poems that are in there now weren't even in there, or they were in different forms, and I, I, I came to revise them, some of them sort of drastically. So yeah, I felt like it really evolved in a very healthy way, but it, it took a lot out of me also yes. to just feel like I was trying and trying to publish the book. Um, so I think once that happened, and you know, first books of poetry are hard to publish, and um, but... I think when that happened, I felt like my mind opened up a little bit and I could think about other stuff that I'd sort of subconsciously been thinking about but hadn't really allowed myself to indulge in, such as the idea that I'd always wanted to go back to school and get my PhD. So suddenly I was like, okay, I can maybe I can do this now. Um, so yeah, so this year in September I started um, in the English and Education, the Joint Program for English and Education here at University of Michigan. So I just, it was sort of a lateral move. It was, it was still in the University of Michigan and I actually am still working with a lot of people that I worked with in, just in a different capacity before. Um, so, so that feels very nice. It didn't feel like that dramatic a change from that point of view, but 
Um, it's been very dramatic in others, um, but it's been it's 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 been it's been a good move. But yeah, I am sort of in a slightly new phase. And when you say it's been dramatic in yeah. others, Lizzie, do you what what do you mean by that? Well, I think going back to be a student is pretty radical, um, especially if you've been teaching. I mean, you're a teacher too. If you've been teaching for so long, you're used to being on one side of the table, and you're used to you're used to. Um, yeah, being in charge of what happens in the classroom. So I think being being a student again has been a, sh- a real shift in my thinking and my behavior in the classroom. I hope. Um, and you're not you're not trying to hold. I don't think I'm trying hard not to take over the classes. Nor should I. But um, and also being a student, you are much more vulnerable. You know, you open yourself up. You're being graded. You're being evaluated. I mean, in graduate school, it's not it's not as dramatic as it is, for example, for my freshmen whom I teach. I know that that's, that's a more, um, that's an even more vulnerable place. So I recognize that. I think as a, um, as a grad student, your relationship to your teacher is a little bit more like a peer than it is with your undergrads, which I don't, I wish wasn't so, but I think it just is because of the way the classrooms are set up for undergraduates. But, um, but you are vulnerable and you're, you're expected to be challenged and to learn and to change as you go through the program. So you're being remade in a certain way, you know, or you're remaking yourself. But that's, that's a very different attitude than just going to work every day. Even if you're a teacher and you believe in your work, it's not quite so um, radical a sort of expectation that things are really going to change and grow yes, as being, the year goes being on. Being remade, that yeah. is really... I mean, that image has sort of been running through my, my mind all year that I'm, I am sort of being remade in some ways. And, you know, not in all ways, but in, in certain intellectual ways, yeah. That, that is really, it's striking to me because I know that people have spoken of that feeling, that sense in law school, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. where yeah. things like ideas you've held mm-hmm. are broken down mm-hmm. and sort of dispensed mm-hmm. with in the first year somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, and I don't think it's quite that dramatic for me, but I think there there is this expectation that you're that that you're going to question everything, that everything's going to be deepened, everything's up for analysis, which I love and which I want. You're wanted. always game for that, right? You're I want doing that. reviews on the side. You're always yeah. <laughs> I like that energy, but it wasn't an energy I was exactly getting professionally. Which now, you know, my profession is being a student. And being a teacher, you always want to change and improve. But if you're doing a job and you're not getting an enormous amount of feedback, you know, the way you are as a student, you, you don't always have the opportunity to change and grow as much as when you're a student. So it's, it's sort of nice to be in this new position where you're really changing. It seems like it's the way you describe it too, mm-hmm. Lizzie. Is it's it's this almost this wonderful experience of a gift of being the student, even yeah. if you are. I mean, if if you're vulnerable, mm-hmm. that that's not always easy, obviously. Right, right. But it, it's a gift. Oh, definitely. And how does yeah. it does it, it? It almost seems like it feels markedly different than when you came here for the MFA program. Or is that not true? It's just a a different time in your your life. I mean, I think it is different in that when I came here from the MFA, I was, you know, I had two years between that and college. So I was still young and I wasn't yet as formed a person. And I think now I have a much clearer sense of who I am. So then to go back and be a student does feel 
a little bit more sort of unnatural, perhaps, in a, in a healthy way, in a good way. But it feels more like creaky. <laughs> you know, those muscles, you know, stretching those muscles doesn't feel like it's coming quite as naturally as perhaps it did mm. when I was like 24, 25. Yeah, I understand you know. creaky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with with the, the work that you're doing in mm-hmm. these new courses, do you see, because I know part of it, you're actually making sure, I believe, yeah. to connect it to poems, yes. and poetry yeah. Yeah. Um, in your in your deeper thinking. Yeah, yeah. I'd really like to, to write about and think about um, the way we read poetry, the assumptions we make about poetry, especially when we're teaching poetry or when students are reading poetry in a sort of learning atmosphere. So what what's sort of happening as a reader um, with poetry in those atmospheres where I think people get particularly uptight about reading poetry when you're supposed to be learning or teaching something from it, you're not just reading it for pleasure, you know, and I put that in quotes, but that that I'm, I'm interested in sort of what we're doing with poems in the classroom. Was there, what was your opening into that, Lizzie? Like what brought you to that? Well, I mean, I'm a poet and I, and I, some, I do try to teach some poetry in the classroom, but I, I found it tricky, partly because I was teaching writing courses, um, not literature courses for the most part. But even in that case, I always question, well, but why? Why aren't we still reading poetry even if we're just teaching writing and not literature courses? So that sort of disjunct, I had it, but it didn't totally make sense to me why I had it. So I'm, I'm interested in sort of questioning that why like literature isn't being taught as intensely in a writing classroom as it is in a so-called literature classroom. Um, and I also was, I don't know quite how to say this. I think I was, I was always interested in teaching stuff that I loved, but a little worried about it. Because I think if you bring things that you really care about into the classroom, it can be, um, sometimes it's a little easier to be objective about stuff you don't love as much. But again, I wanted to sort of examine that tension a little bit more too. So bringing something you love in yeah, there, so. yeah, yeah, into the classroom. So sort of, I, I, I guess I wanted to just get closer to sort of what was going on there with me, particularly as a teacher. Because then that would be the vulnerability of the teacher mm-hmm. as well as yeah, the vulnerability certainly, of the student. Certainly, yeah. And the, the, I think there's a, there's a difficulty um, as a teacher in, in, in sort of treading that, in, in terms of finding that balance between you want, of course, do things you care about with your students and be vulnerable to an extent, but you also have to be an authority and you have to maintain some sort of objectivity. You don't want to um, expect certain things of your students that are unreasonable. So, so I, I, But I just sort of wanted to look at why that for me was happening with poetry. And I sort of suspect it happens with a lot of people with, with poetry or with other forms like poetry that, that people feel so deeply or care so much about. It rings true, Lizzie Hutton. Really? <laughs> yes. We're going to take a short okay, break and then great. we'll be back today in the studio. Lizzie Hutton is here. Her book, She'd Waited Millennia. We'll be back. We'll hear some poems.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. And a thank you to Tex for uh, (laughs) engineering, making us sound good, um, and playing that beautiful song. Mm -hmm. Um, Lizzie Hutton is here today. Her her debut book of poems, She'd Waited Millennia, out with new issues. Lizzie will be reading on March 19th at Nicola's 7 o'clock. That's this coming Monday. Lizzie, this song... Mm-hmm. Can you can you tell us a little bit about it? Because we we were <laughs> we played it for a reason. Yeah. Well, T. It was T's idea to play this piece of music because she said, "Oh, there's a there's this Beethoven sonata in one of your poems, and maybe we should play that." And I was like, "I hadn't thought of that. That's a great idea." Um, so this is a piece of music that's in a movie, um, which the movie and the the piece of music are referenced in my poem. But my mother's also a pianist, and she herself played this piece of music but it was also in this movie that my mother loved so it sort of brings me back I was saying to T when we were listening to it during the break it totally brings me back to being 12 years old and lying on my mom's bed watching this movie with her um so yeah should I read the poem that would be wonderful so the the poem is called exempla um or take the actress Anne Todd in the seventh veil the smiling, blinking eyes, laboring and trusting at the facts that were kept, nonetheless, like her own mind, distant from her knowing, at her movie bedroom's mirror, as she smoothed her girlish cap of pale gold hair. Pure 1940s psychological schlock. Even so, my mother's breathing quickens beside me, as James Mason comes with his walking stick down on her hands. She's been working at a Beethoven sonata. It's called the Pathétique, my mother has whispered. Now she's told him that she's leaving, doesn't care what he says. But then she screams and crumbles back from the keyboard, clutching her newly crippled fingers to her lap as she stares at him hotly, the obedient wires still thrumming in their crazed cord, the clatter of his stick as it hits the floor, still thrumming in the stage-set air. Then she flies in that amazingly deft flight that actresses could only make in their full-netted skirts and nothing feet. And my mother, at her own Steinway, could burnish a single measure of music for hours, this spooky repetition unreadable to anyone listening, being just a piece of a piece. And two, beside the metronome, stood a little framed headshot of Rubinstein in profile, looking delicately down along his nose at the keys, as if even by looking wrong, the fingers might lose all of their sublimated power. Similarly, my mother's eyebrows seemed to hold a suspended set of notes inside them. The slender muscles of her forehead like the flexible strings in her wrists, held the strain of balancing the thinking and the doing, the wanting and the doing, and the doing it right. Doctor, you must help her, said the earnest young lover. And the doctor himself, I think, had also grown to love her. And then there was James Mason, the father figure, master. After her hypnosis, she looks at them, each one, like Dorothy emerging from her dream and to the black-and-white domestic. And you were there, and you, and you, and you. At that moment, nothing more than the vividness of her confession, her own version of it, 
broken into fascinating jewelly pieces. It blazes in her eyes. And with all its flaming ignorance, she sees she cannot have them all, and yet she must have one. She must have one. Which will she choose? Against this shtick, I had a few more obvious moves. Sitting at the bench, I'll never get it, never, and banging my head against the keyboard like the maestro on children's television till my mother yelled to cut it out. Or more quietly, Bugs as Liberace with the candelabra, ears girlishly down. I wish my brother George were here. But my mother herself did the best one, doing Groucho, doing Garbo. I vaunt to be alone. Though her version, in her strangely cheerful exhaustion, was more wry by its knowing that it would never happen. Fully knowing the desire, though perhaps not where it came from, though still thinking surely she knows where it leads. Thank you, Lizzie. Sure, thanks. <sighs> so reading that poem yeah. now, um, it's, it's so... You're, you're not 12 years old <laughs> um, at any moment in the poem, except maybe that moment where you surface to play the piano. Right. Is that right? Yep, yep. And then, but but then the the poem is moving in so many places mm -hmm. from the actual the film mm -hmm. into another film mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. with different characters. Right, right. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> lovely. It's kind of going all over the place, but yeah. yeah. But 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 within its own um, it's associativeness, you can say. Yes. Yeah. Ex exactly. Yeah. Um, is is that one of the and there's there's these lovely also these notes of. Um, you thinking about motherhood in mm -hmm. that poem mm -hmm. in a way and acknowledging y your mother mm -hmm. as like uh, who she is beyond that mm -hmm. as well. And, and I yeah. know, like in, it seems like um, there's there's other and there's even the the father, the James Mason mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. um, pointed to mm -hmm. his father. Mm -hmm. It seems like these are threads that are also throughout the book. No, she definitely. waited millennia yeah. to these family threads. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that that I found myself... Um, revising this book and this manuscript, as I was saying earlier, at the same time that I had my first child. So I think that started to come more clear to me how much the earlier poems in the manuscript were about being a child and thinking about my parents. And then the emerging poems were quite naturally about being a mother and thinking about my child. And they actually sort of um, to, in my mind, at least, started to weave together in sort of interesting ways. Um, I was very lucky to have pretty interesting parents, too. <laughs> so I think that a, a lot of the early poems were, were about sort of having a mother and having a father, but I think, and, and those relationships, but I think they were also just about these particular characters in my life and trying to make sense of them as people, sort of as you were saying, to see them not just as a as a mother, but as a as a person in her own right, and I think that's that's one of the difficult things about growing up is that transition where you start to see these people in your life as no longer simply fitting into that one identity, but having having many identities, um, some of which don't have a lot to do with you, <laughs> and um, which that or, is hard. It is that hard, is or that have something to do with you, but maybe not something to do with you that you want to you know, seeing yourself or, oh, yeah. yeah. So there's, so there's all of those forces. And I think w as I was revising, 
those poems about my parents as characters, I started to recognize the way that I myself was a person in relation to my children as sort of a character, you know, that I was I was not just a mother to them, but at some point they would see me as a person who was, who was strange and different from them as opposed to just, you know, a lovely nurturing mother, which I hope I am also. Yes, and that's like a developmental stage, mm-hmm. as, yeah. As well as like this, this other, this older, like when you feel mm-hmm. almost disconnected in yeah. some way, yeah. But and as a as a writer, as mm-hmm. a poet, um, that's something that it seems like may be a parallel with your 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 mother mm-hmm. as a, the um, a, a piano mm-hmm. pianist, mm-hmm. Um, where you need some time, or there is this separate. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That you inhabit mm-hmm. the interior mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was growing up, for example, my mom spent like a few hours every day practicing the piano. So I was very exposed to that concept of spending time by yourself doing something you loved, sort of for no other reason except that you love doing it. And that was very powerful, I think, influence to me to, 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 to have that permission in some ways, and that example, um, which in some ways is sort of what the, the poem is about, exempla, to sort of have what types of examples your parents set for you. Um, so I think that, that concept of, of practicing the piano was, was very important to me. And I think, in, in a, and I'm just thinking of this now, I think in a, in a way that's why it took so long for this book to sort of take shape, because I was never overly ambitious about like publishing and being a you know I think I've I enjoy so much just practicing writing poetry you know the practice of actually doing it that I've always had to push myself a little bit to to have to you know get it out there and 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 get it to a place where I can say this is done and now I'm sort of moving on to the next thing which is really important too to actually Mm -hmm. have that sense of because for you, it mm-hmm. was an opening mm-hmm. once this was itself. Oh, yeah. And a thing, mm-hmm. right? And then those other parts of your life, you opened right. outward exactly. into them. Exactly. As well as the other poems. Because I, it sounds like some of the, the, there are poems that after Max, after mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. having your mm-hmm. first child, mm-hmm. that are also in this collection, mm-hmm. so have become part of this this group that mm-hmm. obviously weren't in there right, right. As you first sent the book out. Right, right. But now I can imagine that there's these others that are um, mm-hmm. gathering. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, no, I do have sort of new poems, definitely, which are, which, yeah, I think finishing this book, let me say, okay, some of these themes or whatever are not completely done, but I've sort of, I can I can put those a little bit to rest and and turn my mind to slightly different things and to be surprised what your new themes exactly. are whatever yeah, what will emerges surface. yeah definitely and in the the classes too mm-hmm. Lizzie now mm-hmm. um, are you finding also an occasion because I think you're working in translation I am too? taking a translation class yeah um, and so would that give you mm-hmm. is that maybe another area where you'll be working on poems that would also possibly be their own book or form this next or, or how do you see them interweaving? Yeah, may, maybe. I mean, the, the translation class has been incredibly hard. Um, and this is with Benjamin Paylor, friend is, of the who show. You, who you interviewed <laughs> recently. Um, it's been very hard for me to, um, to do those translations, be, part, partly because I'm sort of insecure about my language, but also because... Um, 
but also because you're you're trying to do justice to what someone else is doing and you want to appreciate what someone else is doing but you can't be slavish about it because then that just reads as slavish idolatry you know you have to the act of translation you have to make it your own to a certain extent there's and not if, it's not like this exact yeah, or, I mean, well, unless that's what you're going for. You know, some people, when they translate stuff, they're just going for, you know, when, when people translate a poem into prose, you know, they just want pure literal accuracy. Except when you're talking about poetry, that doesn't, that goes out the window because where is the poem? It's not necessarily on the level of its, you know, literal, ac- you know, literal prose translation. It, it exists somewhere else. So that's been really fun for me to think through, but it's been really hard. So I went into the class thinking, yeah, I'll come out of here with a, a sheaf of poems that I can publish. And now I'm like, I have one poem out of the, you know, however many I've translated so far that actually seems to do justice that to the feels. original, that feels like a poem. The other ones feel like a few stanzas are working or, you know, oh, I I sort of I'm getting what this is doing at the end. But very few of them feel complete. And I think as as a poet, you're very aware aware of that. You're you're almost paranoid about it, that it's really not done till it's done. Even if everything sort of, you know, even if all the sentences make sense and, and all that's in place, if it doesn't feel done, it's not done. And so that's, and maybe I'm being too hard on myself, you know. That could be. But, but that's that's been hard. That's been tricky. It's been a great learning experience. Just also to think about, well, okay, what makes it done? Yes. And and where is the meaning living, you know, in this poem? And and that process of trying to identify that and then try to do it in English, has been has been really intellectually stimulating. But it's been a lot harder in some ways than I thought. I don't know what I was thinking going into it, but I guess. I mean, I'd fiddled around with translations before. So I think I thought, oh, yeah, I can sort of continue to just fiddle around with it. But just doing one poet and just sticking to it um, has has been has been a challenge, but a good one. And in, which in that poet? Way. And which it, he's, his name is Armen Lubin, and he's um, he hasn't been translated yet into English. And he's he writes in French, but he was he was actually Armenian, and he came to Paris like when he was nineteen, and he was writing in the sixties, and um, and his work is very formal, um, and you can see why French appealed to him. Writing in that language appealed to him. I don't I don't want to guess why he wrote in French, but but. He, he 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 takes to the language very well, and you can see why it appealed to him. But it's very formal. It's it's very um, so it's hard to translate. But <laughs> forage, yes, exactly. But everything's until the, hard right? until the end of the term, right? Exactly, least, and then see. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to take a short break. Then Good. we'll be back to hear more poems from Lizzie Hutton's um, debut poetry collection. She'd waited millennia. You've got living writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T Hetzel. We'll be right back. Cause it's him no matter who you are Ooh, yeah. 
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Lizzie Hutton is here in the studio. Her book, She'd Waited Millennia, um, out with New Issues Press. Um, a really great a great press. What, yeah. what was your experience like? It's been fabulous. They've been wonderful. Did they give yeah. you a call, Lizzie, and say, you've they been did. chosen? They did. It was a great phone call. <laughs> It was a great phone call. Um, my sister was living with us at the time, and I remember hello, coming. Hello, Ellie. Yeah, hello, Ellie, if you're listening. Um, coming into the dining room, and she and my husband, Alex, it was like around dinner time, I think. We're sitting at the table, and I, I started crying. I was like, they're going to publish the book. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's been such a process for me, yeah. But so. I, I also love how you said that you, you believed in it like you knew there was it was and it was it was transforming mm -hmm, in some mm -hmm. ways but there was probably a certain point where you felt like it is and then there were s subtle things that maybe happened definitely but you felt that it was like something that's yeah. actually it's meant and these poems are meant mm -hmm. to be together definitely definitely how can you is there a way to describe that well or? at a certain i mean at a certain point i think my changes that i was making to the manuscripts just were just tinkering they mm. were just like me moving furniture around a room oh. for no reason you kind know of tenderly probably it's, yeah a little bit but it felt a little started to feel a little random and oh. I, and i think um they definitely felt like they belonged to there and actually some of the poems that i when I started putting the manuscripts together, I just threw all the poems that I'd liked, you know, that I'd written in the last, whatever, four years into a manuscript. Because were you writing poems all, all along? Like, we, we didn't actually, didn't really talk about, like, no, these early okay. years. With, <laughs> the early <know>. years. <laughs> My Lizzie first Hutton album, yes, released right. later. Yeah. <laughs> No, this yeah. isn't VH1. Right, right. Thank goodness. Right, right, right. Um, right. No offense right, to anyone out right. there that's um, associated. But, um, but, but were you, when you were in undergrad, mm -hmm. or when you were, um, you know, kicking around the Brooklyn streets of your youth, right, right. because you know Brooklyn in a way that all, like, the hipsters don't. That's right. Right? <laughs> Stake a flag that's right. in the yeah. territory. Um. Was I writing poems then, or I wasn't actually? I didn't really start writing poems till college, and I didn't really know what I was doing until I was about, I don't know, twenty seven. <laughs> I think honestly, I mean, I I did. What does that mean? Like, I mean, I did I'm the doing. MFA program here. <laughs> I think I wrote maybe one good poem in the MFA program. Honest, in my opinion. Um, Although other people thought differently. Hopwood Prize, right? Um, yeah. Meter, I guess these things. Yeah. Yes. But I, I, so none of that's in my manuscript. I think I, I wasn't writing stuff. Yeah, none of that's in my book. I think I wasn't writing stuff that I felt like was hitting what I wanted to hit. That wasn't, it wasn't yet doing exactly what I wanted it to be doing. It didn't feel true to me. So it took me a long time to figure that out. And I think the MFA was great, but I also needed to recover from it. And that, that took me a few years um, to to sort of get back to feeling like, okay, well, why am I doing this in the first place? Um, and that was just... That love of it. The like love what had of, your yeah. mom at the piano yeah, for yeah, hours. Yeah, that. yeah. And also just what was it that I... You know, people talk about voice and stuff. What was it that, that was mine? that I was contributing. I mean, I think MFA programs are wonderful. I think the danger of them, though, is, is you can get very confused about who you are and, and sort of why you're there um, in terms of your voice and in terms of what you in particular bring to the table. So I, I needed to, 
it took me a long time to get to that place where I felt clear about that. And that was, I think, when um, I started putting this manuscript together. But what I was going to say originally was some of the poems that I would, was writing at that time aren't in this book. So my second book, which hopefully will come out at some point soon, um, will include some poems from the past, you know, from like five years ago, six years ago, but they just didn't belong in this book. And they how weren't. does that, can, can you tell us a little bit, like, how do you know, like, you know, this, this poem itself is mm-hmm. its own thing. Right. And it, totally. it deserves to be sure. in the, the world. Right. Or so. As its own thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But not with this group right. without making it feel like yeah. it's a pariah of yeah. a poem. Right. Right. Because <laughs> right. Right. that is yeah. true. Yeah. But is there a way to... I mean, it, it was fairly intuitive. I mean, it just didn't feel right. And and part of it was like when you start to order a book, they were always the poems that I was like, oh, I'll just put that in the very beginning or the very end. Or I'll put it in its own section <laughs> was like a big trick. And, and, you know, where I would have these sections that were just sort of these like, okay, these are all the poems I don't know what to do with. Um, and I think a big revelation for me was when, I can't remember if it was my friend Deb, um, somebody said, this shouldn't, this shouldn't be a book in sections. Why are you putting it? It should just be a book. And, and then I was like, yeah. And the, the poems that I feel the need to section off exactly as you said, they need to just be taken out altogether. So, and their time will come. Their time will come totally. And I think they will. I think, I think, I mean, I, I can sort of see that already in my head, sort of how they might fit into a different book. So, and so as you're, you're moving forward, mm-hmm. Lizzie, do you already have, um, in the making of the poems, are there sort of, are they starting to, um, amass already? Or, yeah, or? yeah, somewhat. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, you know what? I was just thinking, maybe we shouldn't keep talking because no. <laughs> we didn't bring, we don't have those we don't to read have on the poems. table no, we don't. Um, today. And yeah. we're celebrating She'd Waited Millennia. That's right. Like, oh, this is really, um, this this is great. And it's a lovely book. Uh, how do you, yeah, have you seen it? Uh, what was the experience going going back to your hometown, to Brooklyn? Because mm-hmm. you just did two readings. Yeah, I just gave two readings in, in New York. Yep. Or in February. February yeah, sorry, in February. Yes. Yeah. It was great. I mean, um, it was sort of like a homecoming. I got to read at the bookstore in Brooklyn, which is now, of course, super hip and very snazzy. It used to be my neighborhood bookstore. It was tiny hole in the wall. And I used to just go there and read Sweet Valley High <laughs> um, in the back room for hours. I wasn't reading Keats or anything. I was reading Sweet Valley High. Um, well, it's a long series. It is a long series. I didn't want to buy them. So <laughs> well, you could read them. Right. You could read them in like an hour sitting back there. But anyway, it was very nice for me to go back to that particular bookstore. That was really meaningful to me. Um, and yeah. And I also read at Poets House in, in Lower Manhattan, which was great. Um, so, yeah, it was it was very nice. It's it's always going back to New York. I, I, I love that city dearly. I, I always do have a weird it doesn't quite feel like where I grew up. And I think that's inevitable because. I'm a different person now and the city's a different place but and I think a lot of that just has to do with you know you can't go home again the, things change and your childhood is no longer doesn't exist anymore except in your mind um, but I do always and have that weird poems. and in my mouth <laughs> or at least to me they do but um, I do always have that weird sort of trip in my head where I go back and, and there's always that sort of slight melancholy about how things have changed um, but it but it was great to go back with the book and 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 read. Yeah. 
I, I always um, love that story of you saying when you first came to Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. how um, far west you originally yes. thought it was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to hear you talk yes. about it, it was like as if the wagon train, yeah, totally. you know, get along little doggies. Totally. <laughs> out totally. To, and that you would wear your, your sort of your chunky or your high heels yeah. in the, the winter yeah. the first I year. I crazy. You were not I know. Gonna... And my husband wishes I would go back to that because now I just wear clogs 24-7. <laughs> So, um, my fashion sense is completely nosedived. <laughs> oh, no, it's just different. No, I know. It the is. clogs it society. Totally is. Yeah. It is. I'm actually wearing clogs right, right now. So, it's, right. Uh, everything's, right. yeah, we, we love the clogs. No, I think, I've, I think I've grown up quite a bit, is it, to put it in a, in, a, in a better way. I think coming here coincided with my growing up. <laughs> so, now I just wear comfortable shoes. Well, uh, Lizzie, let's, can we hear another poem? Sure, sure. Be, sure. What, what do you think, T? What should we read? Um, well, should we, do you want to read, do you want to read Low City? Do you want to read, or one of, we've been talking about things like, I don't know. I love that there's this reoccurring image of mirrors Mm -hmm. and seeing yourself Mm -hmm. as you're, you're kind of stretching this idea Mm -hmm. of identity self Mm -hmm. and what the self is. Mm as just the self unrelated Mm -hmm. because there's so much of relationships that we've also been noting in the book right but there's this i can read t suggested this poem earlier when we were on break called you knew it was so um so i'll read that you knew it was so the inflexible language of girlhood see combined with my various shynesses meant my insides seemed profounder than anything i do It seemed I'd done enough just by having been invented, by pushing back the strange petaled air on the long walks up the aisle in the classroom, on the bus, by moving through the low, humming icebox atmosphere of the world's unwrapped attentions, plugged in but unmoving, except to follow me with a sealed-up, clock-eyed brightness. If you write me, my friend said, I won't write you back. Then how? Take, for example, the camp pool, that huge mirror, cornered, going nowhere. In its sunken green room, even its bluest depths were knowable and lit. And for what? The flickered light it cast on its own ceiling. See, later, shy was the backseat of the car, with me listening in the dark, or a man's eyes in the mirror meeting mine, always a portion of the senses blocked, like taking note of how not returning phone calls made me feel. But that pool made an insideness the opposite of mine, its teaching voices bouncy and hollow. In their suits, the kids' fluent bodies were streaming with fluorescence as they clambered out of it and leaped back in. Do you see? Even at ten, I couldn't play at such a public ecstasy. I kept my two hands locked at its pebbled concrete lip, I knew you were going. To what? To say that. How later his voluptuously layered paranoia, his two eyes in the mirror made the thought what never happened, never mattered, switch so that its opposite was true. Like, I knew you were going to say that, and annoyed. You mean, he said, you knew it was so. Wasn't that love? You mean that you knew it was so? In the same way the pool held me still enough that I was doing without wanting, so my frogging legs, all wobbled and white, and looking paler than they really were, began to make these awful, 
water-treading signs of a confession. Thanks for reading that sure. one. Um, your, your poems, Lizzie, they have this quality to me of um, this electricity that's, there's this newness, because now I've been lucky to, to hear them and to mm-hmm. read them a couple mm-hmm. of, a few times through and to hear you read. Um, and then, of course, Nicola's this mm-hmm. coming Monday that's on right. March 19th, 7 p.m. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's almost as if, and I think, like it's a it's a lasting quality of poems mm-hmm. that that they become there's this newness to them mm-hmm. as if I'm hearing it in a new way. Oh, cool! What did you hear that was new? <laughs> I'm curious. It's, it's just the phrasing of mm-hmm. it. I, I it's hard to it's actually hard to explain. Um, but it, it's it I, it's happened with many of your poems where I'm like, goodness, I have read this several times mm-hmm. before, but somehow how it gets in mm-hmm. is different. Oh. Cool. And so I think Good, that's yeah. lovely. Um, and, and um, yeah, like those frogging legs mm-hmm. and the, the, the confession, mm-hmm. like making that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Talk yeah. about identity being sort of, you're, you're weighing it in that poem so much. Yeah, definitely. And I think I was thinking a lot about the notion of confession and sort of, I mean, confessionalism um, and, and what it meant to write a poem about yourself and... Um, cause I think I got a little worried about that or troubled about, um, you know, writing poems that were overly, that were personal in a way that weren't reaching towards something bigger. Um, or that the, the, the stake in it was your own, yeah, but it might exactly. not be reflected. It might not translate for others. Or, yeah. Or it might the, not translate. carry over. Um, but I've always been most attracted to poetry that was confessional for lack of a better term because i i want to hear the poet in the poem mm. i, I want to know where the poet is and what's at stake for the poet and that's that's how i enter into it is is by by relating to that for lack of a better word and or I by like, feeling that and on your blog you talk about um Robert Lowell. Yes, too. that's right. Well, you know what? We'll take a short break. Okay. You guys, you can check out Lizzie's blog, lizziehutton.wordpress.com. Yes. I, um, I, I need to say, though, I used to, bl- I blogged all last summer and then I started graduate school and I haven't put a blog <laughs> post up since. So I've been very, feeling very guilty about that. But. Oh, no. I don't mean to add <laughs> no, to no, it. No, no, no. It's fine. But there's a big hiatus of blog posts. <laughs> but she'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> and we'll actually be back in just a moment. We'll take a short break. Lizzie Hutton today on Living Writers. She'd waited millennia. We'll be right back. Hoping for the arms of matter 
get to meet her sooner or later. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Lizzie Hutton is here. She'd waited millennia. Her book, her, her book, new book of poems out with new issues. Um, thanks again to Tex for engineering. Thank you, Tex. And um, that was a wonderful song. Thanks, Lizzie, yeah, for sure. being oh, here today. Sure. And my for pleasure. picking the song. Sure. Too. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it was a little freeform sponsored right. by Lizzie Hutton. Right. <laughs> and it was sweet how Noah earlier had said, um, your first album. She yes, that's millennia. right. That's <laughs> right. If only. I was that cool. Oh, <laughs> oh you are. Oh, you are. Um, so, so Lizzie, yes. um, going back for a moment to the blog, yes. I, um, I was speaking the other night to one of our, our mutual yeah. pals, Ellen, and yeah. she had said how much she enjoyed your blog post. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about how it's true because there's this quality in them that I feel like is that you are... These are big ideas that you're grappling mm -hmm. with, so it's not just like a little brief, like... Um, this is what I'm up to. Right, this or, is what I made for dinner last night. <laughs> yeah, and it, this is fleeting through my mind right, at the right, moment, right. which I can often be guilty of with things like As this. As can we all, yeah. Um, but, but yours feel like a serious, like um, an entryway into a conversation. Mm -hmm. That's what I hope, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I started it as sort of a little challenge to myself last summer. Um, I'm totally not, I'm, I'm a technophobe. I mean, my, my father will attest to that. Um, and and I, I will say it's hard to get you to text. I, I, my phone doesn't allow me to text T, so it's not my phone. But my phone is like, you know, a, literally a $3 phone. But anyway, um, I, I, I wanted to try blogging because I like the idea of the exercise of it. Sort of like what we were talking about practicing earlier, like the idea of sort of trying out an idea but but not i'm a i'm a sort of obsessive reviser so not allowing yourself to revise it that much because you have to just pop it up there at a certain point and to be part of the public yeah conversation and, yeah, that it's just sort of a little you're throwing out some ideas and i i didn't want them to be super rough because that's not who i am i, I i'm anal enough that i want them to be careful and i want them to be well structured but i wanted to try that kind of writing where it was just like a little thing that I was thinking through and then to just put it out there and see what happened. So it's it, it was really fun for me. And then, as I said earlier, I started grad school and I literally just couldn't find the time. And in some ways, I really miss it and I wish I could find the time because I think it would be a really good, it's good exercise for your brain to just have to write stuff and then stop thinking about it. And is that how you approach some of the essays that you've also written and in place because um those no those were a little more obsessed obsession making um yes. and, and long and more sort of literary essays so those were a little more um they're not entirely academic but they have a, a slightly academic bent so and, and i'm interested in in that kind of writing as well certainly um, but the blog stuff was just a it, it was a way for me to exercise sort of having ideas but not having to like really elaborate on them too extensively which was sort of a relief for me you know so and it, it also seemed like things that you you wanted to actually 
have a conversation with someone again with or mm-hmm. someone w- mm-hmm. with uh, a conversation with someone mm-hmm. um and, and even in some of them it's sweet you're, you're even recounting like a table a dinner right. a supper <laughs> right. conversation right. with the right. family right where that goes and and sort of the conflicts there mm-hmm. and and then um so so that is it's and you also mention in this because mm-hmm. I can remember in the halls like mm-hmm. a, I think a year ago it yeah. would have been around um, this, when you handed me this thing did you know yeah. that on Wikipedia yeah. the gender imbalance mm-hmm. of those that are mm-hmm. um, contributors contributor. yeah. yeah yeah and that really struck me well, that came out I think it was even more than a year ago but yeah I remember forwarding that New York Times article to like everyone I knew I think you were one of them but um and, you know, the blog, my impulse to blog, I think, is sort of connected to that. I think men are much more likely to do that kind of Wikipedia-like work or just put themselves out there as sort of bloggers. Now, I know this this is probably actually completely wrong and provocative because there's an enormous amount of female bloggers out there. So I don't in any way be meaning to say that. But for me, at least... I that wasn't a role I was entirely comfortable with blogging or nor would I ever I mean my friend Gina and I joked about this you know would we create a wikipedia site and then sort of or wikipedia whatever it's called definition or what what is it called a page and I wouldn't bother to do that that's not something I'm interested in but I'm interested in why so few women do bother to do that that seems like a very interesting strange imbalance that can be explored more and I don't know if Wikipedia is to blame for that at all it's just it's just a really interesting phenomenon yes well it doesn't seem like that they're just not allowing what we're no, like, no, no, there's no. A it's totally I mean to Wikipedia is famously self you know self-correcting it's totally democratic etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's something else going on there's something culturally in the water that that um, men feel more comfortable or more um, more desirous of doing that kind of stuff um, yeah. And, and I think it does relate to the blog in a way because mm-hmm. um, that that idea of like wanting to have some care that you're putting into mm-hmm. it before it's it's up there yeah. may also cause more time to go by yeah. or this yeah. Um, yeah, hesitancy. I think, yeah, or, I think women are much public. more careful about that. At least I am, and I've I've always attributed that to the fact that I'm a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I gender, right, right, right. <laughs> and well, I can also imagine with the the book coming out, mm-hmm. there might be some pieces where you don't you you want the the book sort of to have its moment and it's it's place mm-hmm. on the site but maybe yeah anyway maybe some poems yep. yeah <laughs> could be up there right um but okay so enough about enough about your your blog i was thinking although do check it out because then you can have a continuing conversation yeah, and you can write comments and stuff exactly <laughs> with lizzie right. hutton Poet Lizzie Hutton, mm-hmm. her book, She Waited Millennia. Um, so the, you actually are, when, when, with the poems, Lizzie, mm-hmm. there is, there's a musicality mm-hmm. to the language. That's something mm-hmm. that you're, you're careful about mm-hmm. in investigating and, um, and bringing out mm-hmm. the lyric. Um, mm-hmm. When did you start valuing that like when did you know that was a component of I think that was the first component the ve- that was that, that was got me going yeah okay. I mean I was thinking about it today because I knew we were going to talk and and I was like the first poems I loved were like Annabelle Annabelle Lee um, or She Walks in Beauty by Byron you know poems that were beautiful to say and to listen to so I think that was that was really the first that was the entry point for me into poetry. And the first poet I really fell in love with was Keats. And I think his writing is just, it's just so luscious. I mean, it's gorgeous. So, yeah. So I think that was always important to me. And actually, my struggle has been 
to not just think about the musicality, but to to not let that carry the day. Do you know what I mean? But to let other stuff, because I think sometimes it's tempting to to just be like, oh, this is beautiful, and that and that's enough. enough, and that's not enough for me. So and so when you were in the revision mm-hmm. stages of some of the poems, mm-hmm. is that the next part that you were looking at like well I think it's even starts even earlier I think I'm always fighting that impulse to make it beautiful even from the beginning Um, and especially to make it musical I think I fight that um, because not just beautiful on the level of image but beautiful on the level of sound I think I then need to fight against that and say no I need to also have other the other concerns need to be equally important if not more important in some ways, because a, a really important concern should disrupt the music, you know, in a lot of ways. So, um, so I think that's always sort of a struggle and a tension that I that I have in my in my process as a writer. And do you hear it, Lizzie, when you're when the the pieces are coming to you when you're writing, drafting? Yeah, is they're coming to you? These, um, the, yeah, the, the music yeah, but it? sometimes the stuff that comes to me is stuff that you don't want. You know what I mean? That you got to excise, and you have to make it better, or a little, or a little rougher somehow. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Make it a little rougher. Yeah. That would go <laughs> out right. on that, Lizzie right. Hutton. <laughs> and the, yes, reading at Nicholas this coming mm-hmm. March nineteenth mm-hmm. on Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, so join us there. Come see Lizzie Reed from She Waited Millennia. Um, you've been listening to Living Writers. I'm T Hetzel. Today on the program. Lizzie Hutton. Thank you, T. Oh, you're <laughs> welcome. And come back anytime. Sure. She'd waited millennia. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, March 14th, 2012. In Los Angeles, I'm Dorian Marina. Coming up, as banks agree to pay New York State for mortgage fraud, federal audits expose more fraudulent lending practices. Despite a growing number of states making access to medical marijuana legal, federal authorities step up a crackdown on local communities. And we'll go to Nicaragua, where women use local radio to take on pressing issues such as gender identity and sexual health. Those stories and more, but first, this news. I'm Jess Burns with headlines for FSRN. It's been a historic day at the International Criminal Court in The Hague. Judges handed down the court's first ruling nearly 10 years after the judicial body was established. 
FSRN's Richard Walker was in the courtroom to see Congolese warlord Thomas Lubanga convicted of recruiting child soldiers. The courtroom in The Hague was treated to a legal cliffhanger for more than half an hour as presiding judge Adrian Fulford weighed the evidence. Prosecutors accused Thomas Lubanga of recruiting, enlisting and using children under the age of 15 in his militia to make war in Northern Democratic Republic of Congo, charges Lubanga denied. Even the judge said some of the evidence was weak, but the court eventually announced a guilty verdict. The conviction was no ringing endorsement of the six-year prosecution, though. Judges condemned the court's chief prosecutor for negligence in the way he'd conducted his investigation, specifically for relying too heavily on intermediaries who had corrupted witnesses. Lubanga will be sentenced on April 18th. He's already been in detention for seven years. Richard Walker, FSRN, The Hague. Israeli attacks in Gaza have increased in the past week. Egypt helped 